Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. We're kicking off 2021, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about um, some some big changes that have happened in our industry over the last 20 years. And today, probably more than ever, it's technology. And how is it becoming prevalent in financial planning? How has it changed investing? Has it changed investing for the better? for the worse. Um, we're going to explore all of those different things today on the show. Um, as always, if you want to check us out at the, the website, it's btwellshow.com. So I'll get my plug in for our technology. Um, I know one of our goals for 21 is to uh, increase our technology IQ per se. Um, that doesn't stand for intelligence, but implementation quote quotient. Um, we actually this week spent, how many hours did we spend looking at different technology platforms how we could, you know, combine those with what we're currently doing to just provide a better end user experience. I don't know, probably six, eight hours we spent just working on technology this week. Yeah, yeah, probably combined. I mean, I we both did a demo on some AI stuff for tax planning, and then uh, I did a demo for some uh, new financial planning software we're looking at. So we we made a goal and we're starting to work on it. You know, what's always fun about about doing that is it opens your eyes to things that are out there, but also ideas on how to improve your practice, your client experience, uh, better overall planning for people. Because if you don't look at technology, a lot of times we're, we're just normal humans. Like we get set in our pattern and we've been doing the same pattern for eight years. And why would we change what's working really well? Well, in the technology world, it's one of those things. If you don't start thinking about change before change is needed, you're way behind. In fact, part of the reason that got me thinking about this is Mark Cuban had a quote and he said, hey, for those people today saying that artificial intelligence or AI is not important and they don't need to know it, that's like somebody saying in 1999 that they didn't need to know how to use the internet. Yeah, can so, I, so can I touch on one of my personal goals for the year? How to use that iPad? Oh, yeah, you absolutely I, can. <laughs> so I do know how to use my iPad. Uh, full disclosure for our listeners, I'm 32 years old, and um, Roger brought this up to me that I don't know enough about technology, and I agree with that. So one of my main focuses for the year is to become, well, first I have to get to where normal 32-year-olds are with their <laughs> being tech-savvy. Um, and once I get to that, that's kind of the first step. And then once I get there, then I'm going to try and even uh, and do a better job. I actually, just now when you were talking about we get stuck in our patterns, I was thinking, is he actually going to call me out on the show today no, in front of everybody? I was thinking about it, but I mean, it's and I'm guilty just like everybody else. I My father-in-law's in this industry and you know he's 70 plus years old and he's still calling me to figure out how to like, fix his computer, like really minor stuff that, how does email work? You know, my wife's uncle barely knows how email works. And I, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to be in 25 years. My daughters are like, dad, you need to go out to the local community college and take a class on what, whatever the technology is that I miss. So, you know, I'm always concerned that I'm going to fall behind the times. And, and if we do, if you think about this, if, if you're, if we're not embracing technology, we're probably not doing the best job for our clients. It doesn't mean you have to have technology, but some level of technology helps quantify. It helps dig deeper with relationships and how we can actually help people 
on an everyday basis. Yeah, and you know, and some of the the research that we've done for the show, people, investors want technology, and I'm sure the even though we're we're looking to improve, I think our clients, the technology we provide right now, I think they enjoy it, they're happy with it, um, but it just goes to what you know to what you're saying. It doesn't mean we shouldn't stop trying to get better or improve. And uh, actually, we found that. And this was a TD Ameritrade study. So nine out of 10 investors say that technology is part of their finance. Um, and almost 60% say that it's critical to their finances. And basically, it, just the gist of it is most people, and especially investors, they appreciate technology and want it in their lives. Um, so let's dive into one of the first topics, um, online trading. Well, let's, let's back it up because okay. here's the one thing that I actually think is ironic. Okay. Today, technology is so interconnected with people that you don't even realize it. Like, for instance, this phone, right? We all think we've had these things forever. They've only been around since like 2008. True. I would venture to guess, regardless of the age of somebody, if you said, what would you do without your phone? The answer would be what? I don't know. Like, you know, we had the derecho happen here in Cedar Rapids and Marion area, Iowa, and we had no cell service. I had zero ability to access any technology for 10 days. How was After it? How the was first, that? Yeah. I was literally driving 60 miles north of Cedar Rapids to a small town parking in the Walmart parking lot so that I could get cellular service. I'm, I'm not talking about not having Wi-Fi. I'm talking about cel cellular providers could not provide any type of connectivity. And I told my wife, I'm like, we got to get out of here. I got to work. Like we have to go somewhere because I can't be without any internet, any ability to access information for five days. Like it's not fair to my clients. It's not anything I want to do. My kids don't want to do it. I mean, so you think about that 20 years ago, we sat at home and we watched TV and we read books and today can barely make it 24 hours without an electronic device. I mean, I'm driving an hour to get on it because I couldn't make a phone call. You know, 20 years ago, you had a landline at your house. As long as the phone lines were good, you could make a call. So I couldn't make a phone call. I couldn't book a hotel. I couldn't book anything because I wasn't connected. So right. that's how much it's changed, and we don't realize how fast it's changed. So I think what we're going to talk about is let's go back from an investment standpoint, kind of where it started. And it started, you know, a while back with online trading, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can speak probably more to this. But so trading, there was a day where if you wanted to make a stock trade um, or a mutual fund trade, you had to call your broker on the telephone and let them know what trades you wanted to execute. And then probably starting in the 80s, I guess companies like Charles Schwab and Fidelity started making online brokerage platforms for people. So could you touch on, maybe touch on how that has helped investors, maybe how it's hurt investors and just in your insights and thoughts into that? Great, great question, Elias. And you know, you're right. If you think about how it used to be done, you had a broker, there was a specialist, right, for each stock, 
you know, facilitate, facilitating trades. He was there to create liquidity. And in the 80s, they started online trading platforms and they morphed into, hey, the e-trades of the world. Um, and, and the whole idea was back in 2000, I remember, there's not no one's going to need a financial advisor. And I shouldn't say financial advisor. I should say stockbroker because of the rise of the financial advising style practices the last 20 years where, you know, in 2000, you still had stockbrokers who were giving you stock tips and you're buying, you know, those things. And online trading came out and it was the rise of the day trader, dot-com bubble. You know, whatever you bought went up. I think there's a Janice Henderson fund that just went through the roof, right? We all remember what happened. And there was this massive pullback in technology type stocks. I remember my cousin used to host a local show here in town. And they'd have the financial advisor and they'd have a research guy and guy, people would call in for stock tips and they're doing this over the air. And I mean, as fast as he, he said, I've never seen anything like it. People are just calling in tell me about AT&T. Tell me about McLeod. Tell me about this stock. And that's what they were doing on the show. And that was the rise of online trading, right? You could go, I remember E-Trade was the new account. We're all going to be day traders. Well, that all ended in 2001. But what it did do is it blazed this path for these companies and these online platforms to bring better pricing transparency to the market and allow the person that doesn't want to have to call a stockbroker or wants to do their own research and wants to place their own trades, allow them the ability to do it. Yeah, so the, the availability and if you want to be a do-it-yourselfer, the opportunities there and the, you know, the fees are fair. Um, but when you're talking about your, because we've talked about it before, but your cousin's um, stock tip radio show. And then I think about our firm's radio show that's been on for a decade and our podcast and radio show that we're doing now. I don't know how those two shows could be like any more different than, you know, oh, just give me a stop to stock tip when we're talking about let's do a full comprehensive financial plan for you and set you up for success. They're polar opposite. And, yeah. and what's interesting is what they did 20 years ago, we actually couldn't do today, right? The, the regulatory landscape's not gonna allow us to go on there and talk about an individual stock because right. at the end of the day, we don't really know if that stock's good for one individual person or not, right? That's predicated upon the financial plan we put together. And, and you're right, our show is polar opposite of day trading. But there are similarities between technology, right? Just because we don't day trade doesn't mean technology isn't important to what we do for people on an everyday basis. And technology is so intertwined. I think about, you know, how I manage my own money and keep track of stuff. There's all these different apps out there. You have personal finance apps. Um, you've got the mints of the world, Quicken. LearnVest is one of the newest ones people are starting to track. But but they be, literally can link all these up to their, their spending habits and have a snapshot and say, what am I doing well and what am I doing bad? Um, and, and it's all, once again, facilitated by this, the smartphone. Yes. I mean, it's accessible. It's right on your phone. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable um, how much and how far we've come in 15 years. I remember I got my first phone back in 2002 when I, when I went to college. I was literally like a sophomore in college when I got my first phone. Today, kids get their smartphone and they're like, 10. My five-year-old goes, dad, can I get a phone? No, no, you can't have a phone, but she already wants a phone. When I was five, I was thinking about GI Joes. 
right. not the smartphone. <laughs> right. Did, did you ever play Snake? Remember that on the old cell phones, the Snake game? Did you ever play that? No, but you know what I do remember? Um, my mom happened to work at a company, and she was not technology space, but she was a secretary, so she was, like, in tune to stuff. My dad taught at a college. So I remember having this game where you typed letters, and it kept track of how fast you could type. Like, that was the game my parents gave me to play. It's like, you know, your accuracy. Is there a little race car? I don't remember. All I remember is, like, it'd tell you how many words per minute you did and what your accuracy was. So I was fortunate at a young age. I actually got really good at typing, you know, and I got used to that keyboard. So I've always tried to embrace technology. I haven't kept up with it, but as well as I should have, you know, part of our onus of 2021 is how do we embrace this technology and how does it help make our clients' lives better? So how can... Okay, so how can investors use like use personal finance apps to either do a budget um, or help them make some savings goals? Um, like, what's kind of your insight on that? How should you be using these, and um, you know, and what what are maybe some of the hiccups that might happen? Yeah, I think it's like in anything you can have information overload, but it gives people that don't want to engage with a financial advisor yet the ability to go quantify some of the decisions that they're going to make over the next 15, 20 years about their future. And, and I think number one budgeting, if, if you want to have a budget, right, which it's some level, you have to get an idea on how much you spend, whether that's down to the penny. So I use a, a source and I just say, Hey, this is how much I'm going to spend and kind of loosely figure out where it's going. I don't strict stick to a every single dollar yeah. budget because I just don't think those work. But the other thing it helped do is analyze the spending. People don't know where they spend their money. And I'll throw this out there. I met with my accountant, this is like three years ago, and he goes, I'm not gonna mention the establishment, but I do like coffee. <laughs> and I'd spent a lot, I mean, several thousand dollars at this establishment. He goes, is this actually right? I go, yeah, it was like $3,000. He goes, is this right? I'm like, yeah, it's right. And then I'm like, whoa. Am I really buying that much coffee? And, and I had been. You just don't realize it because it's, oh, I went in the morning. It was three bucks. And then in the afternoon, I went and I got a little snack and it was $7. And then the next day I do the same thing. And then I buy stuff for the office or for a client. And it just adds up. And I actually would have had no idea where that was going without technology. And something like a Quicken can break that down and say, you're spending X amount of money at Sears and you're spending this on discretionary items and you're spending this on food and like food. It's one of the biggest places people spend money and they don't know where it goes. I mean, one of the best things that happened with COVID is we started ordering online, right? Like, oh, we're going to order our groceries. Well, you're ordering for a week because you just don't want to go there and wait in line and go through the rigmarole, like waiting two days to get your stuff. Well, not that COVID's gotten better, but we started going back to the store. We're going like every single day because, oh, we forgot that yesterday. We didn't get that. So one thing we've done recently is we've downloaded this app that we can share on the computer on the on our phone. It says, hey, we need that today. So that all helps with your overall financial life and, and kind of how that's the spending side of it. Right. That it can help. The other side it can help is the investing side because there's lots of information available. Um, You can go out there and go to Morningstar or a lot of different services and say, well, I'm interested in buying X, what's actually in it? And then today you can place trades for free. There's literally free trading on some sites. 
Yeah. Not all. Now, it's one thing you have to run into. I had a buddy the other day who was trying to buy a exchange-traded fund. And he said, hey, I'm trying to buy this on TD Ameritrade. He'd been with them forever. I think was who the custodian was. Um, and we talked about this investment, and he wanted to buy it. And they were going to make him buy 100 shares. So they had like a share minimum? They had a share minimum. And I'm like, you might want to call them, but maybe that because I don't trade on those platforms. But right. he's like, I don't really want to drop down 12 grand. I want to put like a few thousand into this thing. And I don't still want to buy, you know, an even 100 shares. So technology is there to really help us facilitate things that we want to do financially. So, Roger, so one of the things I've noticed is on uh, so on social media platforms, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of financial news or financial media. And do you have any take on does any of the information on social media, does it impact investors? Um, can you take anything from it? Like, is there any sentiment that you can gain from reading those or reacting to them? You know, I, th I think social media, everybody's connected on social media and information travels quickly, which is good and bad, right? Because it may tend to make us have knee-jerk reactions that maybe we shouldn't. But the one thing I noticed during COVID this past year is that there was a lot of information targeted about how to react appropriately to the volatility in the market. So I actually see some of that as good, right? Because if you don't know why you should stick something out, well, the default option is what? Sell. To sell. You hit yeah. the sell button. Right. But I saw a lot of information, whether it was from financial advisors, large investment companies, just, hey, here's the facts about markets. And I know we just did another show. We talked about it. There's been all kinds of bear markets, but there's never not been a recovery. So I think that helped people during, you know, this past year stay invested in the market, why they should do it, why not make knee-jerk reactions. And in fact, tech, because of technology, we saw one of the most dramatic things we may have ever seen in our industry. And that was the rise of Robinhood, which is an online trading platform. It got millions of millennials and young people interested in investing this year. Mm -hmm. and, and whether it's healthy or not what they're doing, they're investing and they're in the market. Right. And, and you know, there's there's talk from you know professional investors and people that what they're doing isn't rational. Well, maybe it's not rational based upon past experience. Right. And based upon just traditional analysis or And that's it. Whatever. They're looking at traditional analysis and traditional cost analysis. And one of them went back and mentioned like Amazon. Well, nobody in two thousand thought Amazon was really worth what people were paying because they weren't making money. Well, we saw what happened with Amazon. It's part of every single person's life today. So right. just because they're not right today doesn't mean they won't be right in the future. And without technology, we wouldn't have seen this rise in this younger generation getting in, getting involved and getting interested in, in investing, which I think is good. I think it's good for people to be engaged and to learn about this and be investing you know, dollars for the future. Yeah, I, I agree. And sometimes, um, you know, I even agree with, so yes, are there people on those like Robinhood and some of those platforms that make it more accessible and easy to trade? There, There's people making mistakes, but to me, that's kind of, that's good and bad. I mean, it's bad if you made a mistake or you bought a stock and it didn't work out, or if you sold a stock that you shouldn't have sold. But 
the good thing is, is you're learning lessons about investing and it's kind of, you know, it's just like anything else. You're not going, you don't start something and know everything about it the first day you start doing it. Yeah, you have um, lessons you learn. What I right. think one of the biggest downfalls of the social media, though, is maybe like some of the Twitter stuff, right? We can think back to um, the plunge in August after Trump announced through, through a bunch of tweets, right? It wasn't like we get on TV, we we're tweeting this out, which, I mean, you know, I'm not really into the trying to do better on tech, but you know, tweeting, whatever, our 74-year-old president does it. Um, he went through a series of tweets and said he planned to put a 10% tariff on $300 billion of imports from China. Well, social media escalated how quickly that got out to the, I mean, you think about how far we've come. Our president that we've had for the last four years tweets what he's going to do more often than having a press conference, the traditional way that the president, you know, communicates information to the public. Yeah, 30 years ago, you'd have to see that on the news or, or the read newspaper. it in the newspaper. And and the information's delayed. So today, one thing I believe technology has done, it makes markets move exponentially faster. Because if the information gets to you faster, and I can hit the button faster, or like you said before, you'd have to wait for the evening news because people didn't have that smartphone on their desk. I mean, it's sitting right here. If it buzzes, I know something came through my phone. Now, whether it's because I want it to come through or because they know it's time for me to check my phone. We watched, um, what was the, what was the, the film we watched on Netflix? The social film, dilemma, the social dilemma. Mm -hmm. And it talked about how, you know, the, the big tech is actually manipulating how often you're on your phone and all oh, you haven't checked it in a while. Um, but that exponentially increases the volatility in the market, in my opinion. It makes bigger swings up and bigger swings down. And one of the things that made me start thinking about this is when I was watching the Josh Brown, the compound video about Bob, the worst investor ever, mm -hmm. and when he bought the market tops and how far it fell. Well, the first two times he bought the market, it went down 30%. The fourth time, which was 07 and 08, it went down 56 and or I, was, I take that back. That was 2000, 2001. It went down 50. Well, the next time it went down 56. So it's almost like the extremes are getting farther to the side. I don't have any evidence to say that, but it seems like markets move significantly faster and more fierce in one direction or the other. And I can only think it's based upon how fast technology works, how fast information gets to you, how fast I can make a decision to trade. And probably some of the stuff we're going to hit on, but algorithmic trading models that exist in the world. Okay. So we've been, you know, really talking um, technology and investing. And one of the biggest purchases in any consumer's life will be a, a home purchase, right? So can you touch on how technology has maybe helped real estate, changed real estate? You know, we have Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, um, Realtor.com. And actually, we do have a stat here that today, 44% of home buyers they start their search online. Which I'd bet 20 years ago you started your search by calling the local real estate agent, schedule a time to go drive around town and look at cars, or, or, or you started, or you started in the local newspaper, or the, right? yeah, you or the, the newspaper. Sunday, the Saturday it has all the open houses for the weekend. I remember doing this when we bought our first house in 2003, and oh yeah, we'll pull the newspaper out see what the open homes are, drive around, and then you meet a realtor, and then yep. you engage a realtor, and then they kind of help you from there. Well, 
we just recently bought a house and the search was 100% done online. I found my real estate agent online. We signed all the documents electronically. So I think this is one of the biggest areas you've seen change in the, in, in the technology world. I don't think we've seen it as rapid of a pace because doing the transaction all connected online is difficult. I think buying a home, there's still a level of advice you need from a real estate agent. And they, I think a real estate agent provides a lot of value. Mm -hmm. For instance, hey, are we buying in the right location? Especially if you're in a place you're not familiar with. Right? Am right. I buying in the right location? You know, what's the condition of the house? Like, this is just something you can't do 100% online. But I would say the vast majority of people are reacting to the pictures that are posted online for that house versus anything else. And we sold a house back in 2017. And I had the person who's building my house represent me as a realtor. He didn't really want to, but he's like, okay, as a favor, I'll represent you as a realtor, but I'm not going to do any open houses. You have to take the pictures and you know, that's just how it's going to be. And he worked out a reduced type commission for me. And I was going to try to list it myself. I'm like, you know, I don't have the time, desire, knowledge to sell this thing myself. I wanted somebody to facilitate the transaction portion of it, right? I don't want to have to learn how to go to a title company and how to write. I just don't want to learn that. But what I learned is, you know, we took the pictures ourselves. And while we think we take good pictures and we have these great phones and they take high quality pictures, I get a call from my real estate agent that I used prior to that for all my other transactions. He called me up. He goes, Roger. Your pictures suck. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He's like, your pictures suck. He goes, I'm not trying to, like, steal the listing from the guy, but you need to get new pictures. I'm going to send you my guy's person who does the pictures. It, yeah. So it had yeah. been up for, like, three weeks. We really hadn't had any traction. Well, sure enough, professional pictures, we had the house sold three weeks later for full ask. So I think people are reacting to what they're seeing on technology way more than they ever had before. Because 20 years ago, they're like, oh, well, this house has a square footage I need. Mm -hmm. And it's in the location I want. It has a three-car garage. Like, let's go look at it. Where today, they pull it up. They're like, nope, next one. I mean, yeah. it's like swipe left, swipe right. Like, what are we right. going to do here? So real estate portals have drastically changed. And they're a little addictive, right? Because think about the pattern between people and their 401k. And, and I don't do this yet. I'm sure I'll probably get there. Some people check their 401k every day, right? Is, yeah. Do I think it's healthy? Nah, not really. Do I check my value every day? Yes, because it's in front of me and I start with my last name starts with an A. So I'm one of the first people on the Here's screen. Top of the client <laughs> Yeah, list. there's like two people in front A, of me. B. Yeah, Even. well, my <laughs> wife isn't, or my wife and my dad are in front of me, and that's it because their their first names start with M's, and I'm an R. Right. But people can now go to Zillow and check the value of their home every day, yeah. and and Jonas in our office talks about this a lot. How that's a little bit of crazy behavior. Like we think it's okay to check our 401k balance every day, but we don't check our home value every day. And the reason we don't check our home value every day is because we're not going to react to what happened because selling a house is a process. Yeah. Where when you check your 401k balance every day, you check it because it's not a process to no, make a change. You just hit a button. Yeah, you're within probably four or five clicks of yeah. selling your whole portfolio if you really wanted to. And a lot of times, when do people want to sell, Elias? When there's chaos or something chaos. bad's happened and they think they need to make a change. So 
you know, if you think about that, if you're not going to Zillow to check your house value every day, we shouldn't go to our 401k and check that balance every day and expect to make a change. Yeah, and that's one of the best, I think that's one of the best analogies we use because it's that's one of those ways where you can make investing kind of simple and easier to understand because it's just it's easier to understand owning a home, right? Because that's where you live and it's more tangible than your investment portfolio. Um, so I, I, when Jonas uses that, I always think that's a really good way to describe that to people. Yeah, Jonas always seems to somehow come up with some unique way to make something complicated seem simple. He's he's the best at that, <laughs> really, honestly. Um, okay, so let's. Do you think there's any? We're talking about um, technology and information. Do you think there's an aspect of information overload at all? Or maybe is, what's the good and bad to having access to information? Um, I don't think there's bad as long as you're not reacting immediately from it, right? If you're formulating a plan, like we're, we're advocates of the financial plan and making those types of decisions, but being educated is obviously better. But just because you have knowledge of something doesn't mean you'll actually you know, have the appropriate action. And what I mean by that is you could go out there today and there's absolutely more information ever available today about how to be healthy, how to eat healthy, weight loss. I mean, every time I'm on Facebook, I see nooms on there and I see the keto diet and I see some guy cooking keto and like, it's all the stuff to be healthy. I'm like, man, I wish I could be like that. But guess what? I have all the information. I just don't have the desire to do it. Like, even if I think I have the desire, I find a reason I can't do it. So it's the same thing with investing. You can have all the information in the world, but if you can't find a way to implement what needs to be done, it's really irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm, I can always find an excuse to eat a bag of potato chips or, you know, or whatever it is that's unhealthy. It's like, Oh, I haven't had any junk food for two days. I'm going to eat a candy bar. Oh, well, you know, my, my classic as well. I got to get rid of it. And I won't buy it after it's gone. You know, I had some Sour Patch Kids in the house. I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta get rid of them so they're gone. I'm not gonna just throw away candy. No, (laughs) not an option. That's not an option. So, so I guess what investors can think is just with the information out there, it might be difficult to weed through and find the good or helpful information, but seek out the good information. Um, You know, if you're listening to our show, keep listening to our show. Uh, If there's other places that you get information keep going back for good information let's um let's kind of transition to some of the other tech technology things going on investing and specifically algorithms um because i know that's something we talk about we talk about with clients that you know there's there's computer trading happening now i know i've had people mention to me that sounds like cheating um having the computers (laughs) do all the trading which i see where they're coming from but you know really it's it's kind of a race to the information. So I see where they're coming from, but if you found a way to do it faster, I just think like that's well, a way to win. But and if you have to think about what an algorithm really is, it's a set yeah. of, if this, if this happens, then we do this. And they're, they're using problematic rules to analyze trading volume, volatility, timing. Um, it gives investors the power to actually just execute at lightning speed. And I have a friend of mine who used to day trade on the, uh, the Chicago board of trade. He was one of the first electronic traders back in the early 2000s. And over time, he'd joke about the black box. 
And what the black box was, it was the algorithmic trading that would program to trade with the traders. And he always claimed, he's like, they know the hedged ratios that I'm trading and they know when I'm gonna have to puke my trade because as soon as I do, it just goes back to where I needed it to go. And he joked about it, but it's really happening today. People have set out and said, hey, we can see these patterns that people make when they invest and algorithms are trying to capitalize on it. And we coin it the black box. There's, there's companies that all they do is algorithmic trading. They will move across the street to increase how fast they can execute the trades because there are still inefficiencies in the market because data and um, things travel at different speeds. So some of these algorithmic trading trading models will actually try to take advantage of the speed. Um, it's one of the things I was under, I think they talked about this in the pat, in the um, Democratic uh, nomination when they were trying to figure out who's president. Somebody started talking, hey, maybe we need to have a tax, a financial transaction tax for these companies that are placing tens of thousands of trades a day because they're just really trying to capitalize on a market. They're not really trying to make an investment. They're capitalizing on speed and efficiencies between different markets. So right. it's actually a pretty complicated way, but algorithms in general can improve for investors um, some different things. And one of the things it does is kind of have the rise of the robo-advisor. And the robo-advisor, they use algorithms to figure out, hey, this is the appropriate portfolio for you based upon this set of parameters that you've given me. And we've seen companies like Betterment kind of come to the forefront of those companies. A lot of them haven't made it, but you know the Betterments of the world provide a good outlet for people who want to do this themselves, but have some some level of professional guidance behind it. Uh, you know, today there's a hundred robo, hundred there's over a hundred robo advisors. They've got $224 billion in assets. I mean, if I told you we're going to go work with a robo-advisor six years ago, you just said, robo-what? Like, oh, yeah. no they were new. Even know. Right. In fact, I remember being at a conference in Chicago. You were at the conference. Yep. Maybe it was five years ago. And Betterment was, like, just happening. Like, they've been around for, like, a year or two. And we're like, well, who's this? Like, you know, what is this? And now they're, they're mainstream today. I mean, there's finding those advisors using Betterment as their custodian for the assets. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it has, it, so how has that changed? How's that changed financial planning or is, uh, like, does our firm, do we, do we have a way to compete with robo advising or how do you touch on that for a little bit? Well, yeah, you know, I, I refer to it as the bionic advisor, right? How do we take that, that technology component of it, which we talked about, like, that's our goal, take this technology component of it that, that exists today and blend it with the human human advisor component because there's still a level of interpretation that needs to happen. There's a level of human interaction that people still wanna to talk to somebody about their plan and be reassured. Because yeah. the, the problem with the computer, just putting the information and spitting out the data, if you have no real life experience of interpreting the data, it's just data. Right? Just I mean, that or maybe I, overwhelming too. Overwhelming, or they don't want to do it, or one of the three reasons people hire us, time, desire, and knowledge, and that's what we can become for them, right? Yeah. Or, you know, we really should add another one to it, technology, because I had a client a couple of years ago who said, hey, aha moment, I figured out what you can do for me. His wife was an ex-stock broker from a long time ago, 
So, but you know, she still knew the fundamentals of investing and all those different things. Yeah. Knowledgeable, knows how to do it. He's an engineer, so he can decipher complex, like complex things in his head and make it happen. In fact, he kind of organized this health, this health insurance plan for a large employer for himself. The employer said, can we use that with the rest of the employees? And so, I mean, intelligent and his wife had to leave for something. He looked over, he goes, I figured out what you do for me. Well, okay. So what was it? He goes, you're the technology that I don't have. You can run all the scenarios that I'm trying to build spreadsheets for and taking hours of my time. You can do that with a click of a button. Yeah, so he's outsourced time to you. Time and technology. And technology, yeah. Because he's the technology we were using, it may be available to him, but the cost that it would be available to him at, it's probably just less expensive to come to me and do it. Meaning you just get his time back and you right. do it right. And right. he doesn't have to figure out how to how the software works because if you're only using it a few times, there's a lot of intricacies that you have to understand how things are moving behind the scenes to make sure that the data coming out is actually accurate and relevant. So I, the robo-advisor, I think there was a period of time we saw this as a big threat. And it's somewhat of a threat, but really it's not because there's still a certain amount of people that want to do this themselves and that's their outlet. The other part of the people yeah. want help. You know, it's like me. I could change my own oil in my car. No, I don't want to. I'm going to outsource it. Regardless of there is some awesome technology in my house I could set up and the robot did it. I'm still just going to take it and get the oil changed because I don't want to mess with any of it. Yeah. And we do, I mean, we do financial plans for really both. It seems like we have some people who they just really want no part of it. So they just, they want us to build a plan for them. And then there's sometimes with prospects or clients, it feels like we're just kind of nudging them a little bit because they've done a lot of the hard work. Um, so, and they've done some of their own financial planning and they're, it's almost like they just came to us for like some validation and just a little bit of nudge of, yes, this is what you should be doing. Well, we had one the other day. I went through the whole financial plan with him and he came here with the onus of, Hey, I just need a financial plan done. So we charged a fee and did the financial plan. Well, at the end of it, he goes, well, do you guys think you can help me with anything? I'm like, honestly, you're super conservative where you have your assets positioned are probably the best place for you. I was able to tell him with a level of confidence that he does not need to increase his risk tolerance. So he'd expressed through this you know, process that, hey, I invested in 2000, some mutual funds, and they went down immediately. I sold them and I've never invested in the stock market again. He'd always bought fixed type investments. Yep. So when I was able to run the financial plan, he was concerned that he would have to take risk or he would have to be in the stock market to make this work. Well, I was able to demonstrate to him that while maybe his philosophy didn't maximize his overall net worth or value in investments, he had a 99% probability of success spending more money than he actually wanted to. So there was no reason for him to actually change his investment outlook. And it actually made him feel really good. He's like, man, I'm relieved because I thought I was going to have to be investing in the market and taking all this risk. I'm like, you can just keep doing exactly what you're doing. And statistically it shows us that you're going to be just fine. Yeah. And I, you know, and for him, like you just talked about, that might not be the most efficient way to grow wealth or net worth, but that was not important to him. Well, you know, what's funny though, 
we say it's not efficient because we're just looking at the numbers. But yeah. for him, based right. upon his reaction in the past, think about this. His first reaction was to sell. Well, what if he kept getting in the market, unlike Bob from the compounds video, when he invested at the top of the market and never sold? What if this client always invested when things are good and then sold when things are bad? Well, he this would, actually, he'd be way worse off than right. he is now. Yeah. It, this actually, whether he knew it or not, was probably the most appropriate investment style for him. Unfortunately, he realized who he was and his relationship with money. And that's what some people don't get to. You know, some people think, oh, yeah, I really want that risk. But then when they see the fluctuation, they didn't really want the risk. It goes back to a conversation I had with someone about six years ago. Yep. I just asked the question that a million dollars. I said, what would happen if your account went down $5,000? That's my litmus test, right? Cause so they had a million and million, you asked about five, 5, going down 5,000 5, and their exact answer. We wouldn't sleep. I knew right then, like yeah. you can't have any risk because that's kind of my litmus test. Like if you have a significant amount of money, it goes down 5,000. You should be like, yeah, no big deal. That but if there's happen every, that can happen daily. It's happening every two hours. Right. Yeah. yeah. But my point of that is, and the reason that I do that is because I can real quickly determine if you're really conservative or not. You know, if I say 50,000, that's different. But if you yeah. have a million dollars and the account can't go down five grand, it immediately eliminates 98% of all the investments we can do. So I go through this financial planning process with them and they want to retire early and they're kind of borderline to retire with all cash, right? I mean, or cash alternative type stuff. And they're like, well, maybe we can re increase our risk tolerance. I said, no, no, you can't. Like he really wanted to. And I don't remember, in, you know, it was 2018, it was the fourth quarter when it went down 18%, I, I remember it because, and they were in the spring. They're like, well, maybe we could increase our risk tolerance. And fourth quarter came as down like 18% and they hadn't increased our risk tolerance. And I had them come back and I said, this is why we don't increase our risk tolerance because if we would have done this for you, you would have sold and locked in this loss. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's just a good lesson in why we use financial planning, but why I don't think the robo advisor can do that. The robo advisor strictly works off of data. It can't interpret somebody's feeling or the face they made or the reaction they gave me when I asked them a question. Right. So that, yeah. So have having a, another human involved that's going to help gauging the emotions and answering those questions and interpreting the data right yeah absolutely so okay let's go through um let's go through a list just to kind of summarize some of these technology changes so i'll say the bullet point and then just like reaction from you pro or con and maybe touch on okay. both sides of it so People have more access to information now. It's a pro and a con. Okay, and and here's explain why. Explain that. Well, because we have information that we can use in a healthy manner to help accomplish our goals, but access to more information actually can cause just as much damage if people are making re knee-jerk reactions. It goes back. We did the market timing video about the the oh uh, what was his name um, about. Oh, the, the two perma bears, the two perma was, bears. Yeah. They're, they're calling, they're calling for an 80% yeah. drop in the market. Well, if that's the only information that you read and you did no research and haven't done a financial plan, you could potentially have a negative reaction to that. So Absolutely. I say more information is pro and con. 
Uh, okay, so a lower barrier to entry. And what we mean by that, there's it's easier to go online and open an account and get started investing now. I think that's a pro 99% of the time. I don't think making it difficult should be a reason that someone doesn't invest. I think having people get involved is good. And think about this. People say, well, if I would have made done this, I would have done better. Well, if you wouldn't have opened your account, you wouldn't have anything. So right. if you wouldn't have done the first step, the first step, right. you had nothing. So I'd say that that's a definitely a pro. Okay. Um, so nowadays communication is easier. Well, that's pro pro. There's easy no, one. no question. Yeah. That's an easy one. Easy I mean, one. there's no downside to being able to communicate easier. Um, re reduce cost and in investing. Okay. So for the most part, it's a pro. But the con is it makes people easier to make bad decisions, right? Because just because something free doesn't mean it's good. Right. And so like a free trade doesn't mean that's a trade you should make. Right. Right. Doesn't mean it's a trade you should make. And if it's free, is it easier than if it's $9.95? Right. Right. Yeah, like a, That's well, a good, that's a good question. You think about yeah. it. Oh, it doesn't cost me anything. Well, okay, I'll do it. And if I don't like it, I'll just get out of it. Well, what if you can't get out of it? What if it just, what if it, what if you made some crazy oil trade? Like what happened back in March when oil went negative? Cause it was a, lot, a, a lot of people were doing that because too. it was a free trade. How'd that work out? Not people well. So paying other people to take oil off their hands Yeah. in general, it's a good thing. It yeah. doesn't mean that it can't be a negative as well. Right. Okay. So what about, okay. So short term investing. So like, having access to day trading and things like that. Uh, negative. I, I mean, very few people can make money day trading. It's why most hedge funds can't outperform the S&P 500 index. Right. And this right. is, we're talking hedge funds. The super smartest smart guys. guys. Smartest guys yep. on Wall Street. Yep. They can't outperform the S&P 500. I don't think the average Joe, college student, professional that's not doing this full time is actually going to be better. And just think about it. Like, so you're a lawyer and you decide you're going to day trade. Are you going to be as good as a guy who all he does all day is analyze companies and decides what he should buy and sell for some mutual fund or hedge fund manager? No. There's no way. So the thought to even think you can do that, it's a foolish thought. Everybody can get lucky. When the market goes up, what we've had this year, well, it doesn't matter what you bought after coronavirus. For the most part, it's gone up. Like, right. you know, like, man, I'm watching my portfolio. I'm like, oh. I'm a hero. I bought this and this. I'm a, well, no, it's just a function of when I bought it. I got yeah. fortunate. It doesn't mean it'll be that way forever. Yeah. Well, and so that kind of, you know, us being financial advisors, I'm sure you get this too, but I have friends or, um, or just people I know and, you know, they'll, they'll want to share a story about a stock they picked that worked really good. Um, but a lot of those stories end with, and then I did something stupid. <laughs> and that's the part that makes me laugh. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, okay. So one last item, and we talked about this, and this is kind of lending to um, just trading happens faster nowadays. Uh, so increased volatility in the market. It's a negative for the market. I mean, it's good to have liquidity in the market, right? We have yeah. the one thing that technology's done is provided a massive amount of liquidity. You know, we can execute most trades very easily, but the problem is we have people that are making trades that they don't know what they're doing. They're 
buying futures or options. They don't fully understand it, and it gets them in trouble. But I, I think if we kind of summarize the whole show today, technology is not a bad thing. It's a great thing if we use it wisely and don't let us make emotional decisions. I mean, if you think about what we do for people, we use technology to quantify their their future retirement. Yeah, and without absolutely. it, and I, I always tell people this, my goal of taking you through our process in our office is to put fact behind my opinion. I believe my opinion's good. I mean, I wouldn't tell you if I didn't believe it was good. But if I can quantify it with some level of confidence, say, I believe if you do these steps, your probability of retirement working out for you is X, they feel a lot better about what they're doing. And so do I, because I'm making great recommendations based upon statistical analysis and the technology that's available to us. Yeah, and helping them sleep better at night knowing they have a good plan. Yeah, so I think, I think the one thing to take away, if you don't have a financial plan, you should get one. Either find a really reputable financial advisor or go to our website, website btwellshow.com. We've got the get a plan button or you can contact an advisor to have a free consultation. We can just have a 20 minute talk with you about how we work, how this process goes and go from there. But, you know, I appreciate the questions today, Elias. I thought this was a really fun, fun show, especially since 2021 is our year of technology. Yep, we're, we're not going to I keep going back to the Mark Cuban quote. If we say artificial intelligence is irrelevant today, it's just like saying I don't have to learn the internet in 1999. So and he, he's right. He is. He's, he's, he's right. a, one of the smartest businessmen around. He's done lots of companies. So um, with that, we appreciate everybody watching the show. We look forward to having you next week on BT Well Show. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.